Matthew chapter 24 in verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Mm -hmm. What makes our current experience so surreal right now is that our lives are being altered. And they're being altered involuntarily. We're not choosing this. This is being done for us. And it's kind of surreal. NCAA cancels the tournament. NBA suspends the season. Major League Baseball is holding off on spring training. Um, the, this event's canceled. Rodeo Houston's canceled. They're trying to tell churches to cancel. I'm driving into work the other day, and they're telling me I can't see my nursing home patients anymore. And I'm thinking, wow, this is almost like a movie. I, I'm living to see this. You know, our, our lives are being altered. Uh, shopping habits, you know, what you can do in town. And it's really kind of a weird thing because on one hand, people are lined up prepping for the end of the world at Walmart. On the other hand, they're lined up at McDonald's getting that last Big Mac before it all ends. I mean, it's, you know, pick a perspective. But we're in a panic right now. There's a run on basic household staples and we're being faced with these moral dilemmas. Do I cancel my event or do I go to this thing or do I stay home out of respect for those who may have a harder time with the virus? Should I quarantine myself? Should we be having church services? Should we not be having church services? These are things that are being thrown up there. Or are we taking way too many precautions? Are we showing a lack of faith by locking ourselves in our bedroom, only coming out long enough to go buy more toilet paper and McNuggets? I mean, is there, is there, or is there more to this? Is this the real deal? Are there end time ramifications? As we go through this time, we need to remember what we learned last week about our two commandments, right? Mm -hmm. Love God, love others. Amen. We're here this morning not because we're trying to stay in compliance with God's plan or his will. We're here this morning because we love God. Amen. All right? At the same time, we need to love others. Amen which means that we do need to be mindful of how we can spread the disease and do the things that the health department tells us to do, which are things you should already be doing. Amen. Wash hands, okay? Um, if you are sick, stay home. Uh, and, and, and to be respectful that way. But we're to love God, we're to love others. Amen. We're to love God by trusting Him. We're to love others by being mindful of their safety and their situation. Yeah. And so when you go to Walmart, and there's only one package of baby wipes on the shelf, ask yourself, do I have a baby? And if the answer is no, don't buy the baby wipes. Right. Now, somebody else may come that doesn't need them and buys them. That's not on you, all right? That's on them. Right. 
But, you know, leave some toilet paper on the shelves, okay? Um, you know, and, and this, this, these are things I know y'all are doing anyway. I'm just giving y'all a perspective on this. And so love others. And so don't fight over the bags of sugar and the uh, sugar aisle at Walmart. We, Jessica and I were there the other night, and she was trying to buy sugar, and there's just a little bit left, and there's sugar poured out on the shelf. <laughs> and it made me think about this house in Rusk, Texas. In Rusk, Texas, there's a house about a block off of the historic courthouse square called the Sugar House. The Sugar House was where they stored supplies during the Civil War. And you had your staples, sugar, flour, so on and so forth. That's all stockpiled in this house. When the city of Rusk, when the people of Rusk learned that the war was over, that Lee surrendered at Appomattox, there was a run on the Sugar House. The townspeople converged on the Sugar House, and this riot broke out. And they were fighting over bags of sugar and ripping them open to the point that the front yard looked like it had snowed. <laughs> that house is still standing today. You know, and everybody, if, you, if you're from there, you know, that's the sugar house. And then some out of town are asking, why is it called the sugar house? You get to tell the story. All right. So don't be one of those people. Okay. So, you know, be, be mindful of these things. And so that's how we love others. We love others by giving them reassurance, by counseling them, by ministering to them. We love others that if they stay home from church because they're not feeling well or that they're afraid that they'll get the virus. We call and check up on them, affirm that I understand where you're coming from. We just want to make sure you're okay. We'll be praying for you. All right? We love others. But as for end-time prophecy, this situation serves us some reminders. And the reminders are that the business as usual that we have come to expect and in some cases love is going to be coming to an end. It's going to be disrupted. There are three things that we need to remember. One, Christ is coming. And when he does, everything changes. So Christ is coming. Number two, outbreaks like the coronavirus or H1N1 or Ebola or was H1N1 swine flu? There's a bird flu in there too. Yeah. You know, um, you know, all these different, uh, these things come up, SARS and everything else, these things come up. And then we have the regular flu that kills more people than the others, but we're so used to regular flu that we're not worried about it anymore. Mm-hmm. See, it's the, it's the unique nature of the virus. The fact that it's something new, that's what scares us. The, you know, flu, we go to work with flu and mm-hmm. we don't even think about it. Now, but anyway, these disease outbreaks, these are part of the plan. It's part of the process. So when you see them, and, and the news is reporting on the latest scary thing that's coming from overseas, don't freak out about it. Mm-mm. All right? See it as part of the plan. Amen. And finally, as you do that, be not troubled. That's right. And that word troubled means to be stirred up. Okay? The riots happening at Walmarts didn't happen here, but the, the bad things that happened other places. That's being troubled. It's one thing to be at home with anxiety. Being troubled means you're stirred up and you're acting out on it. And so Jesus told his disciples, be ye not troubled. Okay, so we're, we're, we're not going to be troubled. So I want to go through these this morning. Number one, Christ is coming. In verses one and two, Jesus went out and departed from the temple And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be one here, there shall not be left one here, excuse me, 
Suddenly I can't read. There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The disciples, Jesus is leaving the temple. He's going to head back to the Mount of Olives. They're going to be camping up there along with most of the rest of the Jewish nation. He's leaving the temple. And the disciples, I kind of picture them running along to catch up with Jesus. I'm like, hey, Jesus, look, though. The temple, doesn't it look great? And you're about to assume your throne. It's going to be ours, Jesus. It's going to be great. It's going to be ours. It's going to be glorious. Look at it. Isn't that impressive, Jesus? And Jesus says, ain't going to be there in a few years. Jesus told his disciples that the temple would be destroyed brick by brick. And by doing so, he reminded them to take their minds away from the tangible things of the here and now and to be looking toward heavenly things. Now, Jesus told his disciples there would not be left one stone upon another. We have a lot of buildings in the state of Texas. I'm, I have a, I'm going to tell you all about this little vice I have. On Facebook, there are groups dedicated to going and taking pictures of historic places and abandoned places and ruins and that sort of thing. And I, I subscribe to a few of those. And so there's like, there, there used to be a school building out in, um, over toward Pretty. I can't remember the name of the little community out there. They've torn it down, but they used to still be standing. They'd go take pictures of that. You know, the, the ruins of the school building at Indian Creek are still there, the, the outer walls, you know. And, and there's places like that all over Texas where there's, there's still something left behind from a bygone era. When the Texas League first got started, there was a team in Greenville, Texas called the Greenville Hunters. The stadium is gone, but the stadium's main gate is still there. Uh, the old Sunset Drive-In movie theater that used to be on Zephyr Highway, I didn't even know it existed until yesterday. The ticket booth is still there. Somebody took a picture of it, put it on one of those pages. That's how I know it was there. You know, and, and, and so, you know, you see these ruins from bygone eras of Texas. And, you know, some of these ruins are 200 years old. And there's still, you know, some, some residue of it left. Uh, Styles, Texas, the outer walls of the courthouse are still there. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just the, the, brick left upon brick. And the disciples are showing Jesus this temple. And Jesus said... They're not even going to have that. There's not going to be one stone left upon another. The temple was so thoroughly destroyed by the Romans that even archaeologists looking at that site today are arguing over where the footprint of the original structure was. There are some that believe that the original structure is in the place where the Dome of the Rock is now. There are some that believe it is right next door to it. Next door makes sense from a, from a, prof, from a prophetic point of view, but it could work the other way too. In other words, there's nothing left of it whatsoever. What happened? One, Jesus said it was going to happen, so you know it was going to happen. Two, when the Roman army invaded Jerusalem in AD 70, the temple caught fire. And all of the gold from the temple's furnishings flowed down between the rocks. And so to get the gold out, the Roman army literally had to take the temple apart brick by brick. That's why there's nothing left of it. We talk on Wednesday nights about how to tell that scripture is inspired. That's one of the prophecies that came true, children. All right? And it happened. Jesus shifted their attention from the here and now 
and the things of this world to spiritual things. And that's why when you're reading one of the criticisms of the New Testament is that nobody mentions the destruction of the temple. Well, nobody mentions the destruction of the temple because by that point the apostles didn't care because Jesus had shifted their attention. Now what happens to us, even as Christians, what happens to us is we get to falling in love with the things of the world. And we don't think that we're doing it. We don't realize we're doing it. It's just day-to-day living. It, it, it really is. I'm not going to lie to you. When they said that there's not going to be an NCAA tournament, I was disappointed. Because I thought that SFA would win a game this year in the tournament. I'm like, yeah, my lumberjacks, and I'm not going to get to see them do that. How disappointing. I'm not going to lie. It bothered me for a day, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed. CBS Sportsline did a simulation of the tournament, and we lost to Dayton in the first round. So, um, but anyway, you know, but it, it, just, it, and so, and, and that's one of the things that convicted me. The Lord's like, Leland, you're, you're really too upset about this. You know, in the NBA season, I don't even watch the NBA, but I'm like, but I do like basketball. What's going on here? But again, why am I getting upset? Because I've got too much affection toward the things of the world. And so we have to be careful that we don't do that because the things of this world are going to pass away. And they're going to pass away quickly. And we're not going to have a lot of warning that they're going to pass away. So we can't be in love with the things of this world. Everything that we have affection on, our sports, our careers, our annual traditions. Our kids don't get to go to the state piano contest in San Marcos this year. That's an Acker family tradition, all right? We don't get to do that this year. Um, you know, these things come to an end. And we have to realize when they do that they are just things of this world that we have to be willing to let go of. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. These disciples, they're not turning their backs on Jesus to pursue the riches of the world, except for Judas. He kind of was. But the rest of them were still with Jesus. And they're impressed by the temple. And Jesus is telling them, basically, if you're in it for the temple, boys, you're going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing this Christian life to see how God can bless you here and to see great things happen here, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. Luther Crawford was the secretary of missions for many years in our denomination. His job was to, was to raise money, collect money, and then distribute money to missions. And every year at the annual meeting, he'd get up in front of the body of messengers and he'd say, Folks, Christ and communism are both coming. This was back during the Cold War. Christ and communism are both coming. I don't know which one is going to get here first, and it doesn't matter. When either one gets here, the dollar you have in the bank is going to be worthless. If the communists get here first, they're going to take your dollar away from you. And if Christ gets here first, you're going to leave it behind. So you might as well send your dollar to missions. He had a really good sales pitch. And for a while I thought, well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. My generation saw the fall of the Soviet Union, right? <laughs> no, no, no. We're still going that way. Yeah. It's more subtle these days. When a government official can tell you no gatherings of more than this many people and there's no due process for that, we got a problem. Is it a good idea to not have a gathering of more than 250 people during time of play? Yeah, it's a good idea for, you know, keep the group small. I get that. But for a government official to say, we're enforcing this, mm-hmm. and there's no due process, then we don't, do we really have a republic or a democracy at that point? We, I, I don't know, you know? And we may see the day 
that the government tells us, in the interest of public safety, y'all can't have Sunday services. We have to know how we're going to respond to that. And that day is coming quite quickly because every time we have a national tragedy, 9-11, the pandemic, the, 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 the hurricanes and the gas shortages and wars and everything else, another level of freedom is going to be taken away from us. Christ and communism are both coming. I'm praying Christ gets here first, but we, but we also know that communism is coming first. What all this teaches us is not to get put up, don't take, take the tinfoil hat off and don't listen to Alex Jones, all right? What this is teaching us is not to be in love with the things of this world. Amen. We have a wonderful church building here, yes. built with hard work, sweat, blood in some cases, you know, and generous donations and sacrificial giving by a lot of people. The day may come when we have to leave it behind. We're not in love with this building. Nope. We like it. We appreciate it. We're thankful for it. We're going to use this to reach some people. But we're not in love with it. That's right. So we have to be careful that we don't fall in love with the things of the world. Because Christ is coming. And when he comes, and as we get close to his coming, business as usual will change. Yep. Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? The disciples understood that when Christ told them this, that he was referring to his glorious appearing in the establishment of his kingdom. And so they wanted to know when it would happen and what to be looking for. You see, the second coming of Christ is what we're moving toward. And this is what we should be looking toward. And everything else that Jesus talks about in Matthew 24 and 25, the context of that is looking forward to his return. Things happening regarding his return, your spiritual condition at the time of his return, the spiritual condition of the world and the, and the churches and everybody else at the time of this world and signs to look for. That's what Matthew 24 and 25 is about because the disciples ask, what's the sign? And Jesus says, oh, <laughs> there's going to be a bunch of them. Here's what you're watching for. The second coming of Christ is what the world is moving toward. In verse 8, the Bible says, and Jesus says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows, the word sorrows is a euphemism for childbirth, for being in labor. And I've seen Jessica go into labor twice, and we've had three biological children. I'm going to tell you, that if there's only one thing I know about it, it's a process. The process of having a child is a process. The business of America is business. Um, but it's a process. You know, it starts when mama doesn't feel normal. Mama, goes to the, now mama may go to the doctor or mama may go to CVS and buy a pregnancy test. And mom and dad are sitting there and they take the test and the line turns blue or the line turns pink or there's two lines or there's a plus line depends on which brand you buy oh my goodness <laughs> i remember the first time oh my goodness and the second time i was like oh my goodness and the third time I was like yeah we knew this was going to happen <laughs> <laughs> but okay so from that point mommy's body starts experiencing some changes mm -hmm. And there comes a time when mommy can start to feel the baby moving around. You know, at first, Jessica described it as a little fluttering feeling. But there's a time when you can feel baby moving around. And, and babies, some of the babies were very playful. 
and, and baby's moving around and baby starts kicking and then baby gets big enough in there that you can kind of tell where baby is that sometimes baby is behaving, sometimes baby is not behaving and doesn't want to turn upside down to get ready to leave. But anyway, there's a process here, right? And as baby develops, mommy's body is preparing to care for baby. And the day comes when mommy feels one of these, or maybe it's one of these. I, again, I was, I, I, I was there, but I didn't feel it. And, okay, hmm, that's interesting. And then a couple hours later, mommy feels another one. And then about an hour later, mom feels another one, and she's starting to notice some more now. And then they're, they're down to about half an hour. By the time they're down to 15 minutes, you need to be getting to the hospital, right? Because we're going to have a baby. And next thing you know, you have mom screaming in pain, crushing dad's hand, and yelling at him, don't you ever do this to me again. And that didn't happen to me, but <laughs> I've heard stories. Now, mine and Jessica's most awkward moment during childbirth was her telling me, Leland, Leland, Leland. I go over there, what's going on, baby? She goes, get away from me. <laughs> and we did that about four times. I finally said, you're on your own. I'm <laughs> The Mavericks were in the playoffs for the first time. I'm watching ball. Um, she told me later that when I went over there, it felt like I was in her face. You know, there's a, there's a perceptive issue, and I can understand that. But, but I didn't leave. I just watched ball. Anyway, but there was a process that brings forth this baby, right? In the same way, the return of the Lord is going to involve yes. a process. Yeah. Jesus said, all these are the beginning of sorrows. So what's the beginning of sorrows? That many shall rise up and will... will, will um, Say that I am the Christ, that there will be wars and rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. In other words, everything we see will change. Everything that we are will change. And therefore, our minds and hearts should be toward God's kingdom, not our own and not the kingdom that we're in. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust thus corrupt, and where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. We think, well, I don't have any money, so I'm not laying up treasures anywhere. Yes, you are. They may not have a financial figure attached to them, but you're laying up treasures somewhere. Yes. There is something in your life that is important to you. Is it your home, your career, your social standing, your children, the SFA lumberjacks? I mean, what is it that's important to you? It could be your own life. What am I experiencing? What am I getting out of this deal, right? If your treasure's in the things of this earth, that's where your heart's going to be. And the coming of the Lord will be an inconvenience. It'll be an imposition. It'll be something that you will see as a curse. But we shouldn't see the return of the Lord as a curse. That's what we want to happen so we can be delivered from all this. Amen. So Jesus said, lay your treasure up in heaven. Amen. Let your affection and the things that you love be the things of God. Amen. That's what we're looking for. Christ is coming. And as Christ comes, pandemics will be part of the plan. In verse 7, for nations shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Verse 7 follows after verse 6, which tells us about the wars and the rumors of wars. 
And verse 7 then tells us how the wars will arise, that there will be also famines, pestilences, epidemics, pandemics, earthquakes, and they'll be in multiple places, which means that these issues will be global issues. One of the things that they keep harping on in business school is how everything is a global issue now. Everything is global now. We don't operate in a vacuum anymore. Everything is global. So if there's a disease outbreak, it's now going to be a global issue. If there is an economic recession, it is now going to be a global issue. If America gets a cold, the rest of the world will get the flu. If the rest of the world gets the flu, America will get COVID-19. I mean, it's, it's, it's where we are now. Everything's going to be a global issue. So everything now is going to be in diverse places, global issues. And the Bible says that these are the things that must come to pass to usher in the return of Christ. The process, right? The process. Mommy doesn't enjoy child labor. She may enjoy pregnancy, but she doesn't. I haven't met a woman that said that they enjoy child labor. No. You know, it's somebody told me about one one time. I'm like, there's... I haven't, I haven't heard of a woman saying, oh, yeah, that was the best experience of my life, right? <laughs> Nobody enjoys child labor. And, you know, these experiences, as the, as the world begins to work its system and the Lord works his system to bring about the birth of his kingdom on earth, we're not going to enjoy a lot of that either. But you know what? When I talk to women about having their babies, they don't talk to me about contractions. If a nurse is rude, they'll tell me about her. But they don't talk about contraction. They don't talk about the physical pain. You know what they tell me about? They tell me about hearing their baby cry the first time. They tell me about seeing their baby the first time. Uh, And I remember, I remember being there with uh, Jessica and Joshua's board and just the sheer change in Jessica, like a light switch, that happened when we heard Josh's cry for the first time. I'm telling you. They had half of her, there's a C-section, so half of her is behind the curtain. And so they're working on her. We can't see what they're doing. I'm up there with, with Jessica and holding her hand and everything. And she's, she's got anxiety about this situation. There's been some miscues, and we're starting to wonder if this crew knows what they're doing. And all of a sudden, you hear Josh cry. We still haven't seen him yet. But we hear Josh cry, and all of a sudden, Jessica's anxiety goes from anxiety to sheer joyous um, ecstasy, laughter, you know, just, <laughs> there he is, you know, because that was the whole point of the process. That was the whole point of going through this experience was to have the baby. And likewise, we should not be troubled when we see these because we're waiting on the baby. Amen. Metaphorically speaking, we're waiting on Christ. We're waiting Amen. on Amen. the kingdom. Yes. So what we are going to see as a series of catastrophic events. And like childbirth, these catastrophic events will increase in severity and frequency until Christ returns. Each event does not signal the beginning of the apocalypse. Each event reminds us that the Lord is coming and further sets the stage for his return. As the Bible says in verse 6, all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. To get there, we have to go through here. Amen. And so we see here as the process to get to there. Yes. When things like coronavirus happen, 
God wants us to recognize that this is all part of the process. Amen. When things like coronavirus happen, he wants us to have faith, knowing that he's in control and that he's working his plan. He wants us to have faith and trust his plan yes. and look forward to his kingdom. Yes. And in the meantime, he wants us to minister to others because our purpose of existence here, I, I really am looking forward to the lesson on what to do when you've outlived God's, pl God's plan for your life. Our purpose for existence here is to minister to others. And see that ye be not troubled. Verse 6. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. See that ye be not troubled. To be troubled means to be stirred up. It's not just living in anxiety. But it's to be in a panic. It's where you're losing control of yourself. That word trouble means to stir up. I think I've mentioned that. But, you know, in John chapter 5, when they were waiting by the pool of Bethesda, because at a certain season an angel would, would trouble the waters, you know, um, it, stir up is, is the idea that you get there. You know, the, the, the Bible teaches us not to be stirred up. People who are troubled... People who are stirred up are the types that are spreading alarming information without fact-checking. Um, that are running to the store and cleaning out the toilet paper aisle. That are fear-mongering. That are fighting over the last bag of flour. People who don't cook are buying raw rice and beans that you have to simmer for two days. You know, I mean, it's like, do you even know how to do this? I mean, I don't. You know, personally, I'm thankful nobody's buying the sesame chicken out of the frozen aisle of the Walmart. I'll always have something to eat because nobody seems to want to eat. Chinese food in an apocalypse and so I'll be fine y'all don't worry about me but I mean the, the the panic you see what I'm saying that's what the Lord is saying don't be like that don't be one of the crowds rioting in the street that's right. be not troubled see that you be not troubled God wants us to be at peace Amen. the kingdom coming is a good thing yes. the end is not yet but these things must happen yes. to bring us to his kingdom all these things must come to pass. It has to happen. Why does it have to happen this way? Why can't Jesus just show up and say, here, it's all good. You never had to miss a thing. Jesus shows up right after the Super Bowl, right? You know, you got to see the new Doritos ad, and then Jesus showed up. That's a good day. Why, don't it, why won't it happen that way? It won't happen that way because God works through the adversities to accomplish his will. Because of our fallen nature and who we are as people, he has to shake us up to get our attention. Hard times lead man to repentance. You look back on the history of our nation, 9-11, what happened the following Sunday? Everybody's in church. You know, one of the biggest, uh, some of the biggest revivals in our nation have happened during World War One, during the Great Depression, during World War Two, during the nuclear threats of the 1950s. See, I always thought that the revivals of the 1950s was because people were just better back then. No, they were worried about being nuked. I mean, and polio. And then we have, and then we have, you know, coronavirus and terrorism and everything happening today. One of the things that's troubling me is the fact that we're not full today. Um, you know, because we're being told pandemic into the world and nobody's coming to church. In fact, the government's telling them not to come to church. And they're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's cool. I mean, you know, that, that maybe, maybe everybody's at another church. And that's where everybody went to church. And I'm okay with that. But if people are really avoiding 
church, that tells me that our spiritual condition as a nation is changing. Because in the back of our minds, we used to have the idea that Christ is coming. We better get in his good graces. And I think we're starting to lose that a little bit. I think we're going from better repent at the last minute to better hide altogether. All these things must come to pass. Hard times lead man to repentance. The world must be positioned to either accept Christ or to reject him altogether. By the time the Lord is through and he returns to earth... There will be no doubt in anybody's mind as to whether or not God exists. What will happen is they will have been forced to make a decision whether or not they will accept him or not. But for us who know the Lord, it's going to be okay. Suppose we're being lied to and this coronavirus has a 98% fatality rate. And it's already in Texas and there's a thousand cases in Brown County right now. It's not true, but suppose that were the case. And so there's a 98% chance you're going to die of this. You know what? You're going to be okay. Yeah. You know the Lord is your Savior. Amen. This is one of the steps he takes to bring you into his kingdom. Amen. What I tell my hospice patients, because they all want to know, why did this happen? I say, listen, your ultimate destination was eternity from the beginning. Mm, yes. And if you know the Lord is your Savior, then God's ultimate destination for you is his heaven. That's right. This is how it gets you there. Yes. The way I say it changes based on patient, but that's the message. It's going to be okay. Yes. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Amen. Like I said, childbirth is a process. Yes. The return of Christ, it's a process. Amen. The events from verses 4 through 7, the wars, rumors of wars, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, world wars, false Christ, famines, starvations, Supply chain interruptions, um, the, the shortages, pestilences, pandemics, diseases, earthquakes in diverse places. Earthquakes when I was growing up was a California problem. Now it's a Snyder, Texas problem. It's fracking. Maybe. But maybe not. Right? Mm-hmm. Earthquakes in diverse places, it's all going to increase in significance and frequency. Yeah. Our job is to see it for what it is, to be at peace, Amen. and administer to others. Yes. We were told on Thursday we can't go see patients in the nursing home. Our direct, our one of our managers told us, "Oh, they'll get over this, and we'll be we'll be back to normal by Monday." And I told her, I said, "I don't think we're going to calm down that quickly." It may be a few weeks, it may be a few months. Whatever it is, be at peace. Yes. Be at peace. Because the Lord has a plan and he is working that plan. That's right. And that plan is to keep is to bring us into his kingdom. Yes. So I won't lie to you. I was upset when I found out that Stephen F. Austin was not going to get to play that playoff game. <laughs> but that doesn't need to be the issue. No. The issue needs to be that when these issues rise up, yeah. we're reminded of the coming kingdom of God, Amen. and we're looking forward to entering that kingdom. Yes. And so as God works that plan and our lives continue to get interrupted, let's look forward to that plan, yes. and let's move forward in peace. Yes.